0: topped with creamy cookie butter cold foam covered in cookie butter crumbles and perfectly pairable with our new cookie butter donut duncan's cookie butter cold brew is a delicious match for your decked out domination america runs on duncan Present participation may vary limited time offer terms apply and it's really interesting too that there i'm sure there are many professionals in the developed world who are doing their careers but they don't have fulfillment they don't have a sense of fulfillment, and, but yet when we are serving the Lord in the way that He has commissioned us to do so, the fulfillment is fantastic. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But when you see um, fruit for your labor, when you see people being impacted, when you see people drawn to Christ, fulfillment is wonderful and you realize this is what God made me for. This is what God called us to. And we've had people recently, multiple people say to us, I envy you. We envy you because you have purpose. You have a sense of calling and you're involved in something that's so great. And I don't have that, I wish I did.
1: An encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. I'm pleased today to be joined all the way from Fredericton in New Brunswick, in Canada, by Joel and Kayleigh Griffin, and they're going to share today their story of being called to Angola. Are you both okay? Hi Dan, thanks
2: for having
0: us. We're good. We're doing well. Thanks for having us on the show.
1: Pleasure. Perhaps, John, you can tell me what your your home life was like, family situation, and what part your Christian faith played growing up.
0: I had the privilege of being raised in a family that was stable, both my mother and my father, both of them believers in the Lord Jesus, and not only nominally, but they really lived their faith and They were actively involved in bringing people to the Lord and investing in the local church. So I'm very, very blessed and learning the gospel from as early as I can remember. And I accepted God's salvation at a young age and began to read my Bible even before I was 10 years old, you know. And so very, very blessed. There was a period of time when... I wasn't sure if I was truly saved, truly a child of God. I had a lot of doubts, a lot of wrestling with myself and wrestling with the issue. But then when I was around 14 years of age, I got my eyes back on Christ. Instead of being introspective and analyzing myself about salvation, getting my eyes on Christ. He is the rock of salvation. trusted him and... Praise the Lord, I haven't doubted my salvation since that day when I got my eyes back on Christ and um, that my salvation rests in Him and not in me at all. My story in brief, I was baptized as a teenager and received into the local assembly as a teenager.
1: And and Kaylee, you, you're from Melfort, is it Melfort in Saskatchewan?
2: <laughs> Melfort, Saskatchewan,
1: that's right. <laughs> and uh, what, what was your upbringing like?
2: I grew up in a very loving home. Uh, my mother is a Christian, but my father is not. So that's definitely a different, a different upbringing than Joel. But um, it, was, it was stable and it was very loving.
1: So I imagine you went to Sunday school?
2: Yeah, so we attended Sunday school, and uh, but it was a bit spotty because, as you can see, it would be a, a bit of a pull between just two different lives. And so my mom would get us out to church frequently, but there were also periods of our, of our life, especially summers, when we would be at the lake, where we just wouldn't go to church. I was saved when I was eight years old and, and was very confident in that and have always been. And I guess as a, as a teenager is when I really started to grow in the Lord.
1: So did you have a good group of young people, maybe a Bible class, that helped you to grow in your Christian faith?
2: For sure. There were, there were a few older um, individuals in our church and they took such an interest in us and they took us to Bible conferences and they would take us to Seed Sores. And really, those, those events really impacted my life and to be around other Christians and to realize the joy that you can have in the Lord. And you know, it was a very uplifting time.
1: So yeah. you've got a girl in Saskatchewan and a guy in New Brunswick. How on earth do you two meet? Because they're not close.
0: No. Canada's big. Yeah. (laughs) A few kilometers in between the two provinces, for sure. I was studying to be an engineer, and in my program of study, there was a co-op work experience program where you go and you work as a student engineer for companies in industry. And so I got a job in the province of Alberta. I did some work there. And then right after that, I went to Saskatchewan and did some work there. And... I was working in the city of Saskatoon where Kaylee was studying nursing and we met at church and uh, the rest is history. So in
1: 2009, you two are married. At what point does that then move into the, the main phase of the story we're going to be looking at today?
2: Okay, yeah, so we were married in 2009 and we set up life in Fredericton, New Brunswick, where Joel's from. And I was working at the hospital as a nurse and Joel was finishing up his undergrad. For engineering and after that he decided to do his masters and so i continued working and he was studying and working and he was finishing up his masters and we were pregnant i guess with our second child and alicia was already born just a year old and maybe she wasn't a year old at that point <laughs> and uh, we were really praying that the lord would guide us because we knew this first move wherever he was going to get his first job and we'd probably buy our first home and we'd really set up our life. It was going to kind of establish where our life was going to be. And so for about six months before he was done, we were faithfully praying that the Lord would guide us where he would have us. But at this point, we're thinking Canada. We're not thinking the mission field at all. We knew that, you know, we want to be available at our local church and invested wherever we are. And so we just really wanted God's hand on wherever that was going to be. And so we would just pray that he would give us hearts to obey and ears to hear what he's, what he's asking us.
1: So did you have, humanly speaking, a place in mind that you'd kind of set your heart on? Or were you completely open to anywhere?
0: We were thinking Canada. We weren't really thinking international at all. Um,
1: but he, Joel did have
2: some job offers in, in Saskatchewan. Yeah, and
0: we did. I was applying for engineering jobs. And eventually did have a, an engineering job offer, and because of the way things went, I ended up calling them and saying, "I'm going to refuse your job offer. Thank you very much for it, but God has been directing us to do mission work in Angola, Africa." And I remember the other end of the line <laughs> was kind of a long pause and silence, and the first thing the gentleman said was, "Okay." <laughs> Well, if you ever change your mind, give us a call.
1: <laughs> I, I don't suppose many people have given that as a reason for not wanting a job.
0: I don't think so. I think it was a first for him as a hiring manager. It was the first time he got that one, I'm pretty
1: sure. How is it that you two felt called to the mission field? Was it something that you both felt at the same time, under the same conviction? Or were you called separately? How did that come about?
0: I would say that it was definitely a separate journey, but it was happening much at the same time because we were both praying together. We wanted to know God's direction in our life in a personal way. We wanted to have a life where we were convicted that we were involved in the vocation that God would have us involved in, serving Him as He would have us serve Him. And so we were praying that together. Now, I was reading in 1 Kings 19 one day, and I came across the passage of Scripture where Elisha is plowing in the field, and he's got his oxen in front of him. He's plowing, he's working the ground, and then the prophet Elijah comes up behind him and throws his cloak over his shoulders, and Elisha seems to understand what that means. Uh, If someone threw their cloak over my shoulders, I don't think I would quite understand what they meant. But Elisha did, and he springs into action. He kills the animals with which he's working. He sacrifices them on top of the yoke as fuel, so he's just giving up his work entirely to go into service for the Lord, and uh, he serves food to his family, kisses them goodbye, and he's gone, and I was just so impressed, that early morning devotion that day that had me in 1 Kings 19, wow, this is true devotion, this is true discipleship, there was no hesitation to simply follow God's direction and serve the Lord, and of course, the words of Christ came readily to mind as well that we need to take up our cross daily. If anyone would like to follow me, let them take up their cross daily and follow me. I was so stirred within that this is the true devotion that the Lord Jesus is calling us to. On Sunday, there was an opportunity to share in the church, and I did, and I shared on that passage just to give uh, an encouragement to all the Christians. And a gentleman was there who was involved with the work of the Lord in Angola, and he felt led to talk to us and that evening, we just went for went to their home and they talked to us and they challenged us, just saying, "It's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to do that. Be open to the Lord's direction in your life. The fields are white unto harvest; the laborers are few. Be open to whatever the Lord might have for you. Uh, for example, you know, we're we could use help in Angola, and uh, so this is where this, the whole Angola dimension enters our life."
2: And we actually laughed out loud at that point because we were not thinking (laughs) Africa at all. And so we laughed out loud a little bit. But, I mean, it got our attention because we had been praying. And so all of a sudden, okay, yeah, this is, maybe the Lord is in this. And so that night we did have, like, quite a few objections, right? You think of Africa, Angola. You think of war. You think of malaria, you think of AIDS, you think of snakes, you think of lions. I don't know. We had a lot of objections. But we knew that if the Lord was in this, he was going to make himself clear. So we went home that night and we just prayed the same prayer that we'd been praying. And we were really listening at that point. So Joel woke up the next morning.
0: There's times in your life when you just have peace that the Lord's going to make things clear. That morning in my devotion, I had peace that God would make things clear through his word. And my regular devotions had me that day reading Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. And they're really a prayer of Moses. And in Psalm 90, you have that famous verse, teach us the number of days that we may apply our heart unto wisdom. The span of a man's life is, you know, 70 years, perhaps 80 if you're strong. Teach us the number of days. And this was our prayer. What are we going to spend our lifetime on? It's finite. It goes by like a vapor disappears that fast. What are we going to do? And then the last verse in the psalm is, establish the work of our hands, Lord. Establish the work of our hands. It was like the psalm was giving back to me the prayer that Kaylee and I had been praying for months. Establish the work of our hands, Lord. Show us what it is and establish it. Teach us the number of days. Help us to make this decision. And then Psalm 91 is a psalm that talks all about God's protection and his presence with his people. And we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then every single one of our objections that we had raised earlier about war, about pestilence, about the snakes, the adders, the lions, the arrow that flies by day, all of these hazards that we could say, no, we can't, we can't obey the Lord and go to Angola because all these hazards, God said, I know about those. I'm bigger than those. You just follow me and you'll be under my shadow. And in that moment, I knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my spirit.
1: I was just going to say it's all well and good you two coming to that conclusion, but you're both from relatively big families. You've got Alicia, who's young. You've got Severa on the way. Was there a a pull from the families to not necessarily dissuade you from going, but to bring up other objections, other excuses? You know, maybe wait, maybe go when the girls are older. Was that something you experienced?
2: Yeah, so I guess at the time when Joel was, you know, reading through Psalm ninety ninety one, I I was doing a Bible study in Jonah at the time, and I had no desire to go to Africa and raise a family there. It I really didn't. I had gone on a short term mission trip three months to Zambia, and I loved my time, but I never imagined raising my family and living permanently in Angola or in Africa. So I was really scared, and I felt like. Jonah like I did not want he didn't want to go to Nineveh right and I felt the exact same way but I remember reading in chapter four and here's Jonah and he's sitting outside the city and he has this plant for shade and and then it it withers and it dies and he's angry and God says Jonah do you do well to be angry you care more about this plant you care more about your comfort than you do for a nation that's perishing and it's I remember just being so touched by that because I felt like I'm caring so much about my comfort in life, Um, looking forward to Joel being able to have his first job. We could, you know, um, buy a really nice home. We could set up our cozy Canadian lifestyle and everything's going to be perfect. But here, God is asking something else of me. And am I willing to open up my hands and to surrender? Am I willing to care about a nation that's perishing versus my own comfort? And so... Yeah, through that, I opened up my hands to what the Lord was asking and said, I will go if that's what He wants. And so, but after that, when we did start to share with our family, it was difficult because people didn't understand. Some family members were quite angry, and you can understand why they see us taking little children to a place that's not safe for them, you know, logically thinking. And we're also, you know, people thought we were throwing away our our education. You worked so hard to get degrees, and now you're just going to throw them away. (laughs) That was hard. It was very difficult.
0: Yeah. And so in those times when you're receiving quite a bit of critique from others, it's not necessarily a bad thing, because you are making a very big decision. um, And it's good to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons or you have true truly the Lord's word on the matter. And so you really go back to the Lord, please be patient with us, tell us again, you know mm-hmm. I, I remember when we were praying about the possibility of language study in Portugal, what would that look like and how could it happen? And it's just another one of the facets of working in Angola because the national language is Portuguese. And we were praying, Lord, just confirm, please confirm to us. And I was working at the university, in my office, working on my master's, and I remember in my journey between my office and the toilets, uh, there was a guy that was working there temporarily doing some restoration work. He was doing some painting and things like that. Always whistling, seemed to have the joy of the Lord, and passed him several times over maybe a two-week period, and one day I thought to myself, I need to have a chat with this gentleman. He just seems so happy. Maybe he knows the Lord. So I, I asked him, hi, and struck up a conversation with him and asked him if he knew the Lord, if he was a Christian. And he said, yes, I I am a Christian, actually. And so we had that common bond in Christ, which was wonderful. And then I noticed that he had an accent. And I said, oh, you have an an accent. Are you by any chance from South Africa? And he said, no, uh, I'm Portuguese. And so (laughs) the Lord then literally placed just outside my office door, between my office and the toilets, this Portuguese Christian man who happened to be on fire um, for the Lord, very passionate about serving the Lord and about mission work. The Lord put him right there at that very important moment in our life to confirm to us, yes, Portugal, yes, Portuguese, yes, Angola. And apparently I wasn't very well acquainted with the differences in the world accents because I thought his Portuguese accent was South African, but the Lord (laughs) had answered our prayer in a really fantastic way.
1: So I wonder at this point, uh, before we move on, what advice would you give for young people who finishing university, the finishing degrees and things like that, and the seeking the Lord's will. And I know every, everybody's experience is different, but, but what tips or advice would you give as far as seeking the Lord's will?
0: I think of a biblical example and it's, and it's the example of Ruth the Moabitess. And she was in a hard situation she was trying to help her mother-in-law Naomi. they needed food, so she what did she do? She didn't overcomplicate things too much. She just went to the field because in that society, the poor people and the foreigners could glean on someone's field and get food and so that's what she was doing. She was doing the next thing that was honoring to the Lord in her situation, and it just made sense. but also God was at work because God is sovereign, he's overall, and he superintends the whole thing, and she's at the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. And Boaz just happens to be a very critical man in the family and in the story so that Ruth and Naomi can be redeemed and they can be relieved from this oppression in their lives. But from Ruth's perspective, she's just trying to serve and do the next right thing before her, before God, the one true God who she recently accepted, and God is taking care of the rest, And Boaz happens to come and see her on the field, and they become acquainted, and he just happens to be the man that can redeem her. And then Ruth follows good counsel from Naomi, and um, eventually they're married. Ruth and Boaz are married, and redemption happens. And so I think that the lesson for us is we need to be active in serving the Lord wherever we are doing what we know is right according to God's word, making decisions according to God's value system and not the depraved or broken value system of the world. As we are faithful to the Lord, as we honestly just ask him to use us if he sees fit, God is going to work out the details. And it's not very often that we get that that heavenly perspective, that zoomed out perspective on our lives. Uh, God gives us the lamp of his word, for our next step on the pathway of faith. And as we do that, we can leave the smaller details to God. And we did not anticipate being missionaries, international missionaries, cross-cultural missionaries. We did not. But step by step, this is what's happened because we believe that God does have an interest in his children's lives. He does direct and he does give peace and he does enable us to do things that we could never imagine
2: ourselves doing.
1: So after that initial... Uh, confirmation that Angola is the place the Lord has placed upon your heart. To get to that point where you're going to Angola to visit, what was that process like? Was it straightforward to learn Portuguese, to get to Angola, to get everything in place to go and, and live? In? And how did you know which part of Angola to go to?
2: Well, yeah, it took us quite a few years to, to even get to that spot of landing in angola joel did go by himself for a month and i stayed here because we had really little kids it was just five months old and then um we went to portugal and we studied and we were there for about 15 months full-time study which was a beautiful time portugal was it's, it's a gorgeous country to live in um, but it also was a challenge. Language learning is a very humbling experience, and all of a sudden we're working at the same job together. You know, we're both studying, we both trying to trying to get the language. Joel naturally excelled at it, and it was really difficult for me. So that was a hard time, right? You're you're facing different things. You're facing living in a in a different cultural and different wor- world, and um, trying to get this language. So a lot of really you know hard times and a lot of really good times there. But um, the Lord was faithful and, and helped us through that. And then we came home to have our third daughter, Cora. So we, we had Cora, but she was premature and just weighed three pounds, 13 ounces. So we, li- we lived in Canada for a year while she grew and also waited on our visas. We had applied for visas to Angola. And so we, during that time, we were in Canada and then we went back to Portugal for about five months And then we finally received our visas. So we landed in Angola, December
1: 2015. And all the time you're in Portugal, were you thinking, are you sure it's not here, Lord? (laughs) Portugal's nice. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. We've come quite a a distance. We'll just stay here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I wonder if you could paint a picture for those who haven't been to Angola of what you experienced, you know, that first time, you touched down with small children, young family, you've landed in a place that you feel you're going to call home. What was that experience like? Cause from Canada, it must be a million miles away.
0: Certainly the sights, the smells, the sounds, everything is so new. And I think um, it's almost like adrenaline that's just taking you through the first while and everything is new, and it is exciting, too. Um, there are things that are baffling, but there's all, it's also intriguing. It's exciting. You lean heavily, if you have the privilege to do so, you lean heavily on those who have gone before you and other missionaries who have experience, and they can show you the ropes, and they can answer your questions, and they can help take care of you. And um, that was certainly our experience, and we needed that. But you certainly you go through a lot of fatigue, uh, as you go through culture shock, you, you kind of wonder why you're so tired and your body and your person is just processing so many new things and it can be disorienting, certainly. And it just takes time. I think anybody who's going through big changes in life, you got to give yourself, cut yourself some slack because it is very disorienting, discombobulating and um, takes time for the dust to settle and to find your new footing. You lean on the Lord. I remember when i first opened a bank account in angola and this is a situation where god shows up in such a special way and puts his hand upon you and gives you his touch of peace when you are in such a new situation open up a bank account and i received this envelope from the bank with my new bank card in it it's my debit card and um i remember opening up the envelope and looking at the card and then seeing the pre-programmed pin number that came for my bank card and I was just astounded, like my jaw must have dropped in astonishment because the pre-programmed pin for my bank card was my favourite pin number that I would assign to all of my bank bank cards in Canada. Now that's probably not a good thing to do but I'll say pin number on all your bank cards but that aside. what the statistics, the probability yeah. to receive that pin number on my bank card, and I just praise the Lord. Here in the middle of total discombobulation, in the middle of everything new, the Lord says, "Here, Joel. Here's something that you're accustomed to, and here's a little reminder that I'm with you, and it's that that carries you through. It's it's the Lord that gives you the grace to to carry through and and survive in a in a foreign setting."
1: And what was that number? <laughs>
0: Great question. You'll have to listen to the next podcast
1: to get that answer. Now's probably a good good time to mention, but I've actually only met you two for one evening, and that was <laughs> in a little little mission house uh, in Kamundambala. But it's amazing yeah, how yeah. you meet people, and you've you know having faith in common, having uh, a, a desire to serve people in common is is a great help and you just you seem to click with people I wonder perhaps Kaylee, you could take this question one of my biggest regrets if that's the right word is that I never met Ruth Hadley but what I experienced was a woman whose life and whose faith and whose very existence in Angola just seems to have echoed through throughout the whole country what was it like meeting someone like Ruth in Angola?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Dan. It was such an honor to spend our first month, two months, with Ruth Hadley. She was the one that picked us up at the airport. At that time, she was the only missionary in the country, and she welcomed us, and she was so loving. You you hear Ruth Hadley, and she seems like a legend, and then you meet her, and she's just so personable. and relatable and she was amazing with our girls and um, helped me as a young mother even though she had never had any kids herself she just seemed to have you know so much wisdom and even how to raise kids and um, it was just really helpful for her to be so open and and I wasn't intimidated at all by her once you got to know her
0: yeah Ruth Hadley was such an interesting blend of motherliness of faith, humor, and grit.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, she was tough. She's a tough woman, but yet she, being so tough, she could also be very motherly and very, very insightful with whatever she would say to you. And I think back to things that she said that at the time I didn't process as well as I should have. And looking back now, th- those comments come back to me and I'm benefiting more from them now even mm-hmm. she certainly in a short space of time was able to say a lot and impress a lot on us. And um, we're very thankful that we have the privilege of, we had the privilege of knowing her and being able to continue on, on top of her shoulders in a lot of ways in the work of the word in Angola. And Kaylee mentioned she's the only missionary in Angola. Well, there's other missionaries in Angola, but she's the, the only missionary that we were acquainted with in Angola, when we landed she was present uh, in the country and um, that's the disclaimer on that.
1: So speaking of the work in Angola, you two live in Loao with your three girls, what what work is it that you're you're involved with there and and also what role have the girls played in helping to establish that work to, to make you two be more approachable with the people of Loao?
2: We have three main, I guess, avenues of ministry. We work with children. We have a children's outreach in the village that is closest to our house, and so we have anywhere between eighty to a hundred and twenty kids that come out for for that. Um, some of them even walking many kilometers to get there, and it's just a wonderful, joyful time with them. Um, and it's, it's just been amazing to see the kids grow over the years too and many professing salvation and we're seeing them grow and so it's it's a, it's a beautiful time together we also have a outreach with youth and we do that at our house in our yard and so we welcome anyone that's 12 years old and, and over to come to our yard and we do a time of a gospel message with them and then games and so we'll play football or throw a frisbee around we have a trampoline that the kids love and also uh, Joel worked with an Angolan um, brother and they built a a swing set I guess a playground and so it's just a lot of fun where I think the kids come in and they just feel welcome and um, safe I feel like it's a safe spot for them and we have a lot of fun together and um, I would say half of the kids perhaps come from they don't, they're they not from families that are in the church so it's it's wonderful to reach out to the community around us as well um and then we also joel has home bible studies and he's got about six different groups 60 students and so that he's really busy doing that throughout the week and then i spend a lot of my time homeschooling every day with the girls
1: is homeschooling your own children well you, you know is homeschool your own children i guess but I imagine it's not something you ever envisaged doing. (laughs) You always (laughs) homeschooled. You might homeschool someone else's, but it's not very common. Um, Do you find it difficult to homeschool the kids and to to maintain a level? Because I know that when they go home to Canada, they go back into the school. Is it difficult to try and keep them at the right level for Canada and also to be involved in all of the different aspects of life in Loewawe?
2: Yeah. um, Homeschooling is is a challenge. It takes a lot of work, a lot of patience. Uh, We do have a lot of fun with it as well. I'm thankful that I have a a really good curriculum that I buy out of the States. And so it's all set up for me. So I don't have to fear that I'm not meeting, I guess, the goals that I need to be meeting for the girls where they're at. um, Because I just follow this curriculum. and And it's an amazing curriculum. So I'm very thankful for that. And thankfully, the girls are pretty academic. So they... They don't mind school. That's that's a bonus. I think if they found it difficult, then it would be a lot more challenging. But they also love. They're very social, so they love it when they get to come back to Canada and go to school. And it's good for them to have that that social interaction. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but they they do. I, I guess the kids you're asking about the kids and how they play a role in our ministry there. Everybody loves children, and so it's great. And our girls are really good. They have a lot of Angolan friends. They play well with them. They're happy to jump in and to try any kind of activity. I think because they have been in Angola since they are very little. So they're, they're just used to jumping in, and whether it's just cooking together on an open fire or jumping and catching flying ants. <laughs> they don't eat them themselves, but they give them to their friends to eat. And so they just have a ton of fun, and uh, it helps. I would say it definitely helps. Make us more relatable, and they could just see our kids are just like their kids.
1: Well, the day that I met the, the five of you, it was only about 10 minutes in when I had the three of them sat all around us wanting a book read. <laughs> They're obviously very comfortable around people and make friends very easily.
2: Yeah, I would say that definitely describes our girls.
0: Excited to talk with you too, Dan. As uh, an English person, someone who speaks English, um, they would have been really excited to meet you, and as a visitor. You know, from a culture that they might be more accustomed to. Too, um, they're working on their Portuguese, but our in our home in Angola, our family language is English, so they have to learn Portuguese mostly outside the home. And our oldest daughter has learned the most, and she's doing the best at it. But it's it's definitely a challenge um, for them and for our whole family. To our family language is English, but our life language in Angola is Portuguese. presents its own
1: challenges well i'm from newcastle so most of my listeners probably don't think i speak english (laughs) (laughs) here's a question that is possibly one you're not asked very often but i suppose when as missionaries do you feel your faith has been tested the most and also do you find that that's when god steps in
0: absolutely it's um the time that is most stretching for our faith is the time when it is utterly clear that we are insufficient in ourselves. We have no more props. We have no one to lean on in ourselves. We can't meet the need and the only thing left to do is to pray and ask God to act. And those are the times that certainly grow our faith and bring us back to the Lord once again. We've certainly had those times mm-hmm. in Angola, and mm-hmm. we can only glorify God. The only the only reason we are still engaged in the work there, in as much as we are able, is because of the Lord's goodness and sustaining hand.
1: Have you had any sketchy moments with snakes or spiders or?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> one day there was a tarantula in Kaylee's sandal. Thankfully, she wasn't putting her foot in it. Another day. Kaylee was in the garden working around some plants and there was a scorpion in there got her on the pinky finger. Um, so she's pretty tough. She's she's dealt with, with stuff. Um, snakes. Thankfully, for the most part, our Angolan friends help us dispatch snakes. But we have had to kill a couple on our own. But every time, we just, we thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us see that snake when we did. Thank you for helping us resolve that. And... Um, it's something that you just have to trust the Lord for, certainly, every day.
1: I remember when I was with Jonathan on the building site, Jonathan Singleton, there was a bit of a close call with a snake. And I'd kind of said to Ruth, at tea time, you know what it's like? And I'd said, how could you bring three young girls here? It's so dangerous. <laughs> and, and Ruth's reply was, we have faith. And that's the practical display of trusting the Lord. He's called us here. He wants us to be here. He, we believe he'll protect us. And that's why we do it. Now, mm-hmm. logically to somebody who maybe doesn't have a faith in God and in the Lord Jesus, you'd say that that's that's ludicrous. That's, that's dangerous. But actually, mm-hmm. to believe that God has placed you there for his purpose, and he's called you there for a reason, you have faith that he wants you to be there, and he wants you to be safe and protected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's for sure the truth. And on the other hand, there's also missionaries that have gone through extreme hardship on the mission field and it's not it's also not the case that God saves missionaries or prevents missionaries from going through hardship or peril. I guess what we have to come back to is that God is good. God is in control. He loves us. He has a plan and we're in his hands. And he will sustain us
1: through
2: and some days are hard like you feel that some days you feel that weight of that and it's and it's scary but it's, it's handing over all those fears to God and, and saying I trust you for this day
1: are you comfortable speaking about what Cora went through and yeah. a little bit about her experience recently
0: sure we, we could do that our dog was pregnant with puppies and it was you're we counting down the days to when she's going to have this litter of puppies and sure enough one morning, um, the first puppy was born and they kept coming and we were all excited and we were also, it was the first time we'd ever experienced this. We weren't really aware of all the dangers. The dog was in pain because of childbirth, likely a bit agitated to protect her young. And, and we allowed Cora to be too close to the dog. We were all kind of gathered around witnessing the miracle of the births and everything. And the dog, um, growled low. And then before we knew it had had lunged and managed to nip Cora on her lip. And it's just, Oh, we hate thinking about it. It happens so fast and such a scary time and amazing how a moment can just change so quickly, you know, mm-hmm. from excitement, puppies are here to, Oh no, Cora, Cora's lip and Cora, there's blood and she's crying and we're fearful. Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to resolve this situation? And asking the Lord for help, it is a hard day. It was a really hard day. And so the standard of medical care in Angola is not what the developed world is used to by any stretch of the imagination. And we're so thankful that we have a missionary colleague who is a physician who was able to drive to our aid. We met him um, in a city kind of between both of our geographic locations and he was able to repair Cora's lip and so it was a happy ending to a really traumatic time. But, um, and Cora has been a good sport about it, but yeah, it's just one of those times when it could have been so much worse too. It could have been so much worse. And we're so thankful that it was only as bad as it was and that there was resolution to it. And, um, Cora's lips healed up really nicely.
1: So then that brings me on to, uh, earlier this year when, you were repatriated, is that the word, out of Angola and back to Canada. Things were locking down because of the COVID-19. Um, you were rescued, for want of a better expression, by MAF, the Mission Aviation Fellowship. What was the experience like for you all going into that tiny plane and being flown out, almost like the last, the last plane out of Saigon? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was, it was definitely surreal. Um, we knew the pilot from MAF, so there was a comfort in him landing and flying out with him. It was nice that he was part of our journey. We felt, we felt sad though too, you know, I, we flew, he did a loop over the village when we, when we took off and I guess we talked to our, our friends there afterwards and they, all the kids were oh, and they were waving and you know, it really pulls in your heart because you know, you're leaving them. We're not sure exactly. When we're going to be back, um, we hope to be back in January. But it, anyways, you just don't know and you feel sad because it was very fast. Like we had we had learned that there was a plane that was leaving to go to um, North America, that the American embassy was putting together with the Canadian embassy, and it was in five days' time. So everything was very rushed, and so that made it a little bit difficult. But we had peace knowing that, you know, it was amazing that Math was even given approval for this flight because... They had requested approval for two other flights the week before from large embassies and they were rejected. So we felt like there wasn't much hope for us to catch this other plane that we needed to catch in Capital City. And uh, anyways, when we got approval, we just felt like the Lord was guiding us at this time for our family out. And so we had peace in in that journey.
1: And you left like celebrities. Yeah. You left in style. Private aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to that video on the actual podcast episodes. People can watch it because it's quite interesting to, to meet you guys, to get a little glimpse of your lives and to see that flight out. That's quite a, an interesting thing. So just a couple of questions to finish. The first one would be, are there any items or people that you would like prayer for? Is there anything in particular that people can, can do to help the work in Luau?
0: Certainly value your prayers. Um, even while we're here in Canada, we're praying that the Lord would preserve what's been done in his name there and so we can get back there, preserve the Christians and give them courage. We certainly value prayers for protection when we're there. Also that that the kingdom of darkness will be pushed back. Luau is a place where there's a lot of really involvement in the occult. It's, it's part of the the traditional belief system involves the kingdom of darkness and we pray that that would be pushed back and that the light of the gospel would shine very brightly in the Wow and by the power of God. And you can involve yourself in praying for that. Also our endurance, just keeping at the work that God has put before us, that we remain positive and engage in exactly what he would have us do. In the we're surrounded by poverty. It can be overwhelming. It can be numbing when it's just constantly before you. but we need is very much on our minds to understand the best ways to help people out of poverty in the name of Christ and leave poverty behind. We definitely need wisdom and ideas to make that happen. Yeah, I'd, I would say those are the first things that come to mind.
1: Last question. Is there a Bible verse or verses that you've had as comfort or reassurance or that have just cemented? The position you have now that have, that have helped
0: i think um the word of god is certainly what sustains us his promises sustain us and often it's the timely word a word for the day uh encouragement for the day that helps us through but certainly psalm 91 is a psalm that we've come back to over the years psalms 90 and 91 when we need to refocus on our original prayer that we be involved with the work that god has for us and how he's guided us this way. He's brought us to this point. He's sustained us. But then his promise of presence. The promise that nothing will touch us outside of his control. Of Psalm 91. And the promises that are there. Those are certainly scriptures that we come back to.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining me today on Testimony Podcast.
2: Thanks, Dan.
0: Privileged to be with you, Dan. Thanks for your questions.
1: Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you.